Baseball has a rich history of clubs with amazing wins, crushing defeats, and even more interesting behind-the-scenes management stories. Not all clubs are still with us today, though. So to keep their memory alive, Rounders is going to share their history. Today, we're examining the Houston Colt 45s. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Rounders, a history of baseball in America. I am your host, Jeff Lambert. Before we begin the show today, just a couple things I want to mention. Checking in with you, did you get the chance to go and see the companion episode on YouTube from last week? Uh, I put a little extra time into making sure that that had some visuals that you obviously would not get listening to the audio version of this. Uh, So if you get a chance, go over and check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can see the companion video. If you've ever wondered what this mug looks like, you'll have a chance to be able to see that over there too. Uh, I want to be able to reach as many people as possible with this show. And there are people who prefer a more visual version of the content they consume. So you're going to hear the same thing, essentially. It's going to be this podcast, but just with my face in front of a camera and some extra photos and videos that I have found that correspond with the topic that we're discussing. So if you get a chance, please do that. I would like to get the subscriber count up just like we have for the podcast so we can get in front of more people. Also, I'm working on a companion website that you can go to, which will include everything, all of the videos, all of the podcasts. I'll have blog posts that correspond with the content that we're discussing, uh, a place to be able to advertise. If you have a business that is appealing to baseball fans and you'd like to advertise on the show, I'll have a section for that. Basically, one place to house everything uh, with what we're doing here what I'm doing here. I don't know why I say we, (laughs) this is a solo operation here, at least for now, but it's something I love to do and something I'm trying to make more time for. With that in mind, I've been uh, really enjoying the feedback that I've been getting from you this week across several different channels. And I'm going to try and do this at the beginning of every show so we can kind of feature the community and some of the conversations that are going on. So I did get some user comments from this past week and I wanted to share them with you. The first one I'd like to uh, put up here uh, is that, uh, Uh, Kevin from Instagram uh, had a comment from the last episode about the late bloomers. He said, quote, great episode. I noticed that you covered three lefty pitchers, end quote. Great point. I did not even think of that during my research, believe it or not. I was so focused on looking at the times for when they accomplished the feats that were accomplished that it didn't even occur to me that we had Jamie Moyer, Randy Johnson, and we had three Southpaws on that list. So thank you so much for pointing it out. That is a great catch. Uh, and certainly, uh, I wonder if there's something to that, to say the least. But uh, yeah, a lot of lefties there who found their own after the age of 30. Another quote I'd like to bring up is Brandon, who also sent me a message on Instagram. Brandon, you said, quote, I love baseball and you're expanding my knowledge for sure. Growing up, my mom was a Cincinnati Reds fan, which naturally I didn't want to root for the same team. So I picked the Red Sox. All right. But I would love to know more about the Big Red Machine. If you ever do any topics about teams from the 1970s, end quote. Thank you for that, Brandon. As a matter of fact, I've added that to the list and it will be upcoming and I'll make sure to uh, give you the credit for it once I do the introduction for the topic. I, I try and do this with anybody who who reaches out to me with an idea. Um, I like the feedback and I want to discuss topics that are of interest to the community. So if you do have a specific time period, a team, a topic you'd like to know more about, 
I'd love to add it to the episode list. You can contact me and I'll make sure to do that. Uh, one last quote that I got, and this was on Apple Podcasts, their review section, which I would love it if you could take a moment to do that on the podcast app of choice, because even if you leave just some stars, let alone uh, a comment underneath, it does help the algorithm in getting me in front of people that are searching for sports and baseball in particular. So this one goes out to username FielderGamer1. He left a quote that says, uh, this man seems like a great reporter. Very professional and well-spoken, not to mention he does his research. He is super interesting to listen to. Uh, Field Gamer One, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the show. I do have a background in reporting, uh, although not in a professional sense. Uh, I was on the school paper in high school. In college, I was the editor of my college newspaper. I also worked for a time in between college and my first job for a music publication covering bands uh, as they toured in the local area in Massachusetts where I lived. So I've always had a streak of um, the journalist in me. Uh, I decided to go a different route in terms of that with, I guess, the investigative interest that I enjoyed and instead went into history and became a teacher uh, on the high school level for several years. And, uh, you know, that's always kind of uh, given me an interest in researching and history in general. And of course, baseball has such a rich history, especially within the fabric of American history that naturally led to the creation of this show. So everything kind of ties together. So thank you for that comment. I do appreciate that. I try and put a lot of time for each episode in terms of the research. It's important for me to get it right, but to also make it interesting for you, the listener, as you try and grow and learn more about this sport that we all love. So let's get to our topic for today. One last thing I do want to mention, if you have some extra change lying around and you love this show and you'd like to support a little bit more, consider becoming a monthly supporter. It helps me keep growing things. If you're joining on the video feed, you'll see this nice new microphone in front of me. This is a brand new Shure MV7 microphone. I've been saving up for this for two years with the funds that you've sent me. Now I have it. And hopefully you've noticed a quality improvement, especially if you've been listening to the old shows. This baby does the trick. And this is thanks to you. So the money that I get, it really goes into making the show better, uh, whether it's paying for website fees on a monthly basis or buying new equipment, or even just helping me make this more of a profitable side gig so I can put more time into it. Uh, every little bit helps. And even if you can't give me money, just tuning into the show, that means so much to me, just for you to make me a part of your day. That means so much, uh, just as a fellow sports fan and someone who likes history. So overall, if you can, great. If you can't, thank you for the listen. That means so much to me as it is you are supporting independent sports media and we're really together i think sending a message that we can have these conversations through mass media without relying on espn or fox or nbc to be the mouthpieces of what the sports conversation should be about because there's so many amazing stories out there that aren't discussed by the uh, the big wigs and that's what we can do here on these more uh, smaller channels so thank you again don't forget to follow on social if you haven't already. Let's do get to our topic today, the baseball team autopsy of the Houston Colt 45s. <music> 
as we begin this new feature as part of the show, periodically I am going to take a look at teams that are no longer a part of Major League Baseball, and we're going to break down our investigation of these teams into several parts to keep things organized as we move through. So just to give you a glimpse of how this is going to go, I'm always going to start off with the origin story of these teams that we're discussing so you can see where did the idea come about for this franchise, how were they created, what was the original idea for the logo and the colors, who are the people behind it. And then we're going to talk about some of the major milestones in their franchise uh, history in terms of maybe players or memorable moments during the seasons that they were around, any behind-the-scenes stories that I could dig up and put together uh, to give you a glimpse of what it was like to be a fan of this team during that time or even to play on this team during that time. And then we'll always round thing out, things out by talking about what happened to the team. Why did they fold? Uh, what happened to them in terms of the long term? Is there a different iteration of the team that's still around? So we'll discuss what happened, you know, in terms of where they went. And so for today, to kick off this new feature, we're going to start with a team called the Houston Colt 45s. It's an interesting name, right? Probably one that wouldn't get chosen here in 2021. But the story of how this team came about is incredibly interesting because it did have a lot of impact on how more expansion teams were added to Major League Baseball and how they went about it is pure Texas, uh, since we're talking about a Houston-based team. So let's jump right into it. We're going to start off with the origin story. Now, where did the idea for forming the Houston Colt 45s begin? Well, it actually was the brainchild of four local Houston businessmen, and they got together and they formed an ownership group to bring a professional team to the city, and they named that ownership group the Houston Sports Association. Now, they put together a detailed plan, and they were ready. They went to Major League Baseball in 1959, and they had a, a plan that they felt would really get them that first uh, attempt nod. They, they thought they had everything, all their ducks in a row. They had a financial plan that was very detailed. They had the funding to build a new stadium for this new team that they wanted to be, uh, to start up in Houston. And they really thought this is going to be a slam dunk. We're going to get approval by the MLB first try, and we're going to have a team in Houston by 1960. That was their optimism going into this process. But things didn't work out that way. The MLB heard out the proposal from the Houston Sports Association, and it was rejected. Now, you would think for someone to go in with that kind of money and that kind of financial plan and even the backing for a new stadium, that the MLB would want to support that sort of initiative. But there were a couple of reasons why the MLB decided to reject this initial proposal by this Houston Sports Association. The biggest reason was that they didn't want to add any more expansion teams to the National League during this time. They liked the number that they had. They liked the control they had in the National League, especially in terms of where the cities were located and the fan bases they felt were supportive enough of the regions they were around. They weren't looking to expand in the National League at this time. So that was a no. Now, most sports associations would just let it go, I would assume, or maybe try on a different level instead of the major league level. But this is Texas, folks. This is Houston people. And they decided in true Texas fashion that they weren't going to let it go. They were going to fight for this idea. So these four guys decided to strike back in, like I said, a truly revolutionary way. So they decided, oh, yeah, okay, MLB, if you're not going to take our expansion team, we're going to start our own league. Yeah, that's right. 
they decided to go out and start their own baseball league. And the planned name for this league was called the Continental League. And this was this was legit. They put together a whole proposal for it. They had everything planned out to make a nationally syndicated league that would compete against Major League Baseball. This wasn't some amateur thing they were trying to start. They wanted it to be on the same level. The way they went out and they got other teams to join this new idea was they went out and they found other ownership groups who had also been rejected by Major League Baseball and said, hey, come join our new league. We'll accept your proposal. And so they were so successful at this, but they were able to put together a, a really solid plan to open up the Continental League with eight to 10 teams. Pretty impressive, right? Now, the MLB heard about these plans and they rightfully got nervous about it and they decided okay, let's get this Houston Sports Association group back in here and see what we can work out because this could have major long-term effects on our financial viability. So the story goes, the Houston Sports Association was willing to come back to the table and they sat with MLB executives and they went through the plans again, heard the pitch, and the Houston group was able to convince Major League executives to add them to the uh, Major League Baseball's uh, roster of teams. But it wasn't just the Houston's uh, proposed team that was included in this acceptance. They said, okay, if we're going to do this, it can't just be one team. We want to keep it even on the American and National League level. And we have other sports groups that have been asking that we would also like to include that have strong plans. So at the time, there were 16 teams in Major League Baseball. After this agreement with the Houston Sports Association, they agreed to add four teams to the league. So the amount of teams jumped from 16 to 20. Now you may be wondering who those teams were that came along with the Colt 45s. Well, Houston was added to the National League and the other team that was added in to the National League mix was the New York Mets. This is when they got their introduction into Major League Baseball. On the American League side, just to keep things even, and they were able to enter a year before the National League teams did, they staggered the debuts. The Los Angeles Angels and the Washington Senators were the two teams that entered the American League. So now baseball has 20 professional teams, but it was thanks to the efforts of the Houston Sports Association for this expansion. So we go to 1962. Okay, two and a half years after the initial uh, proposal that was put out by the Houston Sports Association, their new squad was ready to join the National League, and 1962 was going to be their first season. But there was one small issue that they had to work out first. See, in baseball, and this still exists today, there are territorial rights that are owned by franchises, and it's not just on the major league level. This goes all the way down to single A and even Pacific Coast League ball, where if you have a team that's endorsed by the MLB in a certain area, no other teams that are affiliated with the MLB can, can encroach upon that, no matter what level you are. So in Houston, the problem was that this new club on the major league level was trying to join in an area where there was already a AAA organization called the Houston Buffaloes. They were actually the farm team for the Chicago Cubs. Now, initially, the ownership of the Houston Buffaloes did not want to sell. They did not want to fold. They did not want to move. And this was a sticking point for the Houston Sports Association because they couldn't finalize everything and start play until they got the Buffaloes to leave so they could get those territorial rights. Well, more back and forth happened. There were, I think, two rejected proposals from the Houston Sports Association to kick things off until 
finally the HSA was able to get the team to sell. So the Buffaloes played their last game uh, before the 1962 season started, and then they became officially a part of this new pro franchise in Houston, and that allowed them to be able to finalize things and become uh, a major league baseball franchise. Now, this is not unheard of even to this day. I, I actually learned something a couple of years ago that was very surprising to me. I went to see a spring training game down in Fort Myers, Florida, where the Red Sox play. This was back in 2019, might have been 2018. Um, and they have this beautiful new ballpark in Fort Myers called Jet Blue Park. And I was talking to one of the attendants during, uh, I think it was after the third inning, I went and got some popcorn or something like that. And I was just shooting the breeze with them. And I said, this is such a beautiful venue. What happens when spring training's over? Do you host other teams? Do, do farm teams play here? And the guy looked kind of sad when he responded and said, no, it basically sits here during the, the season. And I said, how could a new stadium like this just be sitting here during this whole time. He said, well, there's actually a AAA team that plays near here, and they have territorial rights to this area, which means that we can't use the park for any MLB-affiliated games or, or farm team games because of those territorial rules. So no baseball can be played, professional baseball can be played in this park during Major League Baseball season. And so this beautiful park is basically used for uh, a couple times a year, concerts, maybe exhibitions, but it's due to that territorial rule. So just to give you an example, this wasn't just in 1962. It still exists to this day. And it makes a certain amount of sense because baseball wants to make sure even their farm teams have a fan base and can be profitable. And if you have multiple teams in a specific area, they're kind of robbing from each other. So yeah, there's some there's some sense to that, but kind of an interesting then versus now uh, connection for you. So let's go back to the Houston Colt 45s. Since 1962, they're ready to form. They are the first official pro baseball team in Texas. That's right. The Houston Colt 45s. Now, how did they get that name? See, the new team had to come up with this and the Colt 45s was not chosen by the Houston Sports Association initially. Instead, they decided that they were going to run a name the team contest through local media. And the winner was actually chosen by, a, or submitted, I should say, by a guy named William Irving Nader, a local Houston native. He submitted the idea for this team named the Colt 45s because, in his words, it was, quote, the gun that won the West. He was a history buff. He liked the idea of naming something about the Old West that's synonymous with Houston. And so the Colt 45s, the gun that won the West, right? Makes sense. Well, team leadership uh, chose the finalist names and they went with the Colt 45s based on this individual's suggestion. So he won the contest and that's where the name comes from. Leadership took that name and said, okay, what do we choose for colors? So they went with orange and navy. Those were the team colors. Some of you might be ahead of me at this point, especially if you live in the Houston area. Those colors should mean something to you in terms of foreshadowing, but those are the colors that were chosen for this new Houston Colt 45s team. Now, where did they play? Well, the original proposal, remember, from the Houston Sports Association said, hey, the shiny new baseball team that we want to establish in Houston is also going to come with a shiny new baseball stadium. So in 1962, they started off and having the need to play baseball, but the stadium was still under construction. 
So the Colt 45s played nearby at what was known as Colt Field. This was a temporary ballpark that was built and it housed 33 fans. But it wasn't meant to be a structure that lasted. It was actually a makeshift venue and it was outdoors. It, <laughs> I couldn't imagine going to a game in July for this, for this venue. And it became a problem because you think about the Texas heat in an outdoor stadium that's not even built in a way that is comfortable. And this quickly became an issue. It was almost unbearable for the fans. As a matter of fact, one of the Colt 45's former players, better players, Rusty Staub, he proclaimed in an interview once that Colt Stadium, quote, is the hottest place on the face of the earth, end quote. Just to give you an idea of what the players had to deal with, let alone the fans. But this is where they played their games uh, for the first three years of their existence. So, that is the name, that's the colors, that's the origin story, that's where they played. So you have an idea of how the Colt 45 started, and I guess the whole origin story. So now let's move into the second part of our conversation, which discusses the narrative of their inaugural season. We're going to start going through what happened during the time that they were around. What were some of the high moments, the low moments, etc., etc. So that first season is always important, Right. Before the start of that 1962 season, of course, the Colt 45s got to participate in the MLB's expansion draft. Now, basically, and this is a very high over, uh, level overview of how this works, I understand. I could do a whole episode on this, but basically in an expansion draft, the existing MLB teams all get to designate players that they choose not to protect. They make them available for the incoming teams to choose from. Well, it's not exactly the cream of the crop players that are usually designated uh, as being available for these expansion drafts. It's usually the players who are a little bit older that they need to clear a roster spot for. Maybe it's someone who has a bloated contract that they're trying to get rid of. Maybe it's a young kid who they feel doesn't have an incredibly high ceiling and they want to just, again, open up roster spots. But usually the people that you get to choose from in an expansion draft, it's not going to net you any you know, franchise changing players. We'll just say that. So out of this expansion draft, there were a couple names that lent some hope to Houston fans that the inaugural season could be, you know, at least uh, something that brought some excitement. So some of the names that were taken during the expansion draft for Houston, uh, they took a gentleman named Al Spangler, who was a young up and coming player who had played for three different teams. If I remember right during this stage of his career, but had shown promise at the plate. And so they felt that, okay, this guy could be one of our cornerstones. They also had the great fortune of drafting a pitcher named Richard Turk Farrell, who had been to an all-star game once before, had a larger contract, was getting a little bit older in his career, but he became the marquee pitcher that was chosen during the expansion draft. So those were the two main, I guess you could say, um, the top prospects, the top choices that were taken in that expansion draft. So Houston has their team as a result of this, and they are ready to go. So the season opens, and their first game was played in April 1962, April 10, 1962 to be exact. They open up against who else but the Chicago Cubs, uh, the team that they stole the AAA area from. <laughs> but that's the game. Season opens up. The franchise begins play against the Chicago Cubs. And ironically, Al Spangler, their expansion draft pick, was the gentleman who drove in the first run in franchise history. So he hit a triple 
and was able to knock in a run. And we have the first recorded run in franchise history. Congratulations, Houston. And the season got off to a great start for them. They actually swept the Cubs, and they went 3-0 and to start the season, to start off their history. But that was kind of the high point of the entire first season for the Colt 45s. It was really, yeah, it was all downhill from there. There's no other way to say it. If I had to encapsulate, based on the research I did, what was some of the issues with this team, they were decent on defense. And they had some okay pitching, but their biggest problem was they had zero offense. This team could not generate runs to save their life. And you can see that just in looking at the stats from their pitchers. Uh, We had pitchers carrying 16 to 20 losses in a season, multiple pitchers, because they would come in and they would keep scores low on their side. But then, you know, there was just no runs generated to be able to, to gain any sort of lead. So just to give you an example of how bad this team was offensively, their best offensive player that season in 1962 hit 286. That's that's the top of the pile for them offensively. They finished the season with a record of 64 and 96. That was good enough for 8 out of 10 in the National League. But let's be fair. Let's talk about some of the bright spots. Uh, one bright spot, they had a player named Roman Mejias. He was the guy who hit 286 that season. He had a decent a decent start to his time in the majors. He hit 286, 24 homers, and 76 RBIs, but he was traded in the offseason to the Red Sox. So there goes that bright spot for the Colt 45s. Uh, remember I mentioned Richard Turk Farrell, one of their draft picks that they took in the expansion draft? He had a good season, all things considered. He kept a 3.02 ERA. All right, so... Uh, decent, and he was named to the All-Star team for the National League that season due to his ERA and strikeout ratio, but he lost 20 games that season, and again, it goes back to no run support, but he was certainly a bright spot for them in the pitching staff. Now, the other, uh, I guess, notable point from this inaugural season for Houston was, and Houston fans will recognize this name immediately for everybody else, it may be lost unless you're just a huge fan of announcers, Hall of Fame broadcaster Gene Elston began as the lead radio voice for the Houston franchise in 1962. This was his first major league gig. So he has been in baseball since 1954. He had worked with other teams. He got his big break with the Colt 45s. For the next 25 years, he was the voice of Houston. Uh, In 2006, because of his fame as a broadcaster, he was named to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So those are three things we can take from that inaugural season. Houston is here. They are ready to build. They're ready to grow. And even though things got off to kind of a rough start, there's a little bit of hope there. We're going to discuss the remaining seasons that existed in the Houston Colt 45's history. But first, we have to take a quick break for the seventh inning stretch. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's Jeff, the founder and host of the show. And I have some exciting news for you. In addition to the baseball history podcast you know and love, I'm launching a weekly email newsletter. In it, you'll find a link to each new episode, along with curated baseball history news, stories, polls, and more. It's completely free, and it's a simple way to enjoy the Rounders show that you love even more. And for those of you who would like to support the show as a subscriber, you can easily become a member by signing up using the link in each newsletter. For just $5 a month, 
I'll send you a weekly email with bonus episode content, including our newest show, This Week in Baseball History, where we take a look at the major stories that happened throughout baseball's past and how they relate to America's pastime today. As members, you'll also have opportunities to vote on future episode topics and participate in exclusive events, such as the Rounders Fantasy Baseball League. If you'd like to send me a small token of your appreciation just once a year, we have an annual plan that will save you money over the monthly fee. And if you really enjoy the show and you want to send me a more significant contribution, I've created a Rounders Starting Nine tier for an annual payment of $100. You'll have my eternal gratitude and have your name included in the episode credits as a show producer. In addition, you'll get to choose the topic for one episode each year, and you'll get a free Rounders Starting Nine member t-shirt. Most importantly, you'll continue helping me grow this show. I'm grateful for your support, and I look forward to sharing more of the best stories from baseball history with you in the future. Click the link in the show notes to sign up for the email newsletter today, or go to rounders.substack.com. That's rounders.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Rounders, a history of baseball in America. We are doing the first and hopefully of many uh, episodes in a segment called Baseball Team Autopsies. And today we are looking at a the defunct team, the Houston Colt 45s. So we started off by talking about their origin story. How did they get their name? What were their colors? Where did they play? How did they even get into the league? And then we talked about their inaugural season, which wasn't great, but hey, the expansion draft doesn't lend itself to being a great team right out the gate in baseball. So that brings us to the 1963 season, the second season in existence in Major League Baseball. How did they do? Well, let's go through it. In the 1963 season, in the offseason before 1963, the team did make some moves trying to sign young prospects. They knew that the way forward was through youth. Uh, and they took advantage of that. And they signed three players who will become very well-known in the MLB, but they got their start with the Colt 45s. The first young player that Houston snagged during that first offseason was an individual named Joe Morgan. He was an amateur free agent, and he was snagged up by the Houston Ball Club. And then we have Jimmy Wynn, who was a 1962 draft pick, and he had played in the minor leagues for Houston during the 1962 season. And he played so well that he was called up and would be joining the major league team for the 1963 season. And then we have an individual named Rusty Staub. Rusty was a 19-year-old whose contract was purchased by Houston. So these three individuals, all of them, are going to be on the big league roster for Houston going into 1963. Now, before I go any further, if you're not familiar with these names, let me just go through what they turned into, because I think it's important to just cover why these names are significant. So Joe Morgan... He played 10 years in Houston. He was a two-time All-Star, and he became a future Baseball Hall of Famer. Jimmy Wynn, he played 10 years in Houston as well. He was a three-time All-Star, and he was inducted to the Houston Team Hall of Fame. And then Rusty Staub, he played six seasons for Houston. He was a two-time All-Star for them, and he was a future Baseball Hall of Famer as well. So all three of these individuals went on to have very 
good careers. They showed and produced results for Houston, and of course, they did well elsewhere. And I should mention, too, you know, you may be thinking in your head, oh, two-time All-Star, that's not amazing. But that's just with Houston. Just I should have said that from the beginning. When, they, when the two-time All-Star, the three-time All-Star, the designations there, those are tied into their time with Houston. They did a lot more with future teams, but they got their start with the Colt 45s, and that's the point I wanted to bring up. This team relied so much on their youth that they actually rolled out a full all-rookie lineup at one point during the 1963 season. And it it was an exciting moment, I think, for, for them to show off their youth. So this team was young. How did it go for them? Well, overall, I mean, it probably could have gone better. They finished a little bit better than the first season in the league. They went 66 and 96. That was good for ninth in the National League. So even though they gained in terms of wins, other teams did better. So there's some movement. There's some cause for excitement. There were a couple bright spots during that 1963 season. On May 17th, Don Notabart pitched the first no-hitter for an, extan- an expansion team Excuse me, when Houston beat Philadelphia 4-1. to one. So there we go. There's one thing. Now, you might be asking yourself, how did he get a no-hitter and the score was 4-1? to one? Well, the Phillies got that one run in the top of the fifth of that game. There was a walked batter who got to second on an error by Houston second baseman Johnny Temple. And then that same runner got to third base on a sacrifice bunt. All right. And then he scored on a sacrifice fly. So no hits were recorded in the recording of that run. So the the no-hitter stands. <laughs> so that was, I guess, one of the lone things I could find for the 1963 season for Houston. So that brings us to 1964. There's an improvement in the win average. We see some young players starting to develop. Will things get better for this team? Well, here we go. <laughs> in 1964, the team did have some young hope. All right. Those young players are there. They're showing improvement. Well, there were some season events that right off the bat, kind of lent itself to uh, thinking maybe things aren't going to go so great. Uh, On a sad note, just a few days before the opening game of 1964, one of the Houston's pitchers, Jim Umbrick, ended up dying of cancer. He was the only pitcher on the team to record a winning record during the first two seasons. So he's one of their top guys, and uh, he ended up passing away due to cancer. The team honored him by wearing his number that season in his honor, which is a nice thing, but right off the bat, they are down one of their top pitchers and certainly a a great clubhouse guy that they ended up losing. Now, Houston pitcher Ken Johnson helped fill that role during the 1964 season, and he became the first pitcher in Major League history to lose a complete no-game hitter in nine innings. He lost one to nothing to the Cincinnati Reds. So right off the bat, we have a pitcher who died of cancer. We have another pitcher who unfortunately ended up losing a complete game to the Cincinnati Reds. And it was that kind of season for Houston. Just things did not go well overall. There was one humorous event that happened during the 1964 season that I just had to include. The team was in Philadelphia for a game against the Phillies. It was September, and there was a local radio station that was reporting that the Beatles, the band, were in town, and that they were staying in the same hotel that the Colt 45's team was staying at. And so, obviously, we're talking about the Beatles here. Mobs of fans rushed to the hotel with the hopes of being able to see these guys, and it clogged everything up 
the street ended up getting closed down. The hotel lobby was all clogged up. And you have these players basically stuck up in the hallways where their rooms are because these rabid fans were there to see the Beatles. Now, it ended up causing a delay, and there was a concern because the game was supposed to start at a certain time, and the players were not there in time for batting practice. So there was a concern, we're going to have to delay the game due to the Beatles, <laughs> which is an odd reason to cancel a game. But they were able to, as best as I could find, find a way out of the hotel and get to the stadium before the start time officially arrived, and they ended up playing that game. But the Beatles almost side-railed a game, a Major League Baseball game, due to a mistake from a radio station. So there you have it. Now, overall, 1964, it was just, it wasn't a good season. There was, there was little improvement happening here in the first three years. So the, the final record that Houston posted was 66 and 96, which again placed them ninth in the National League. Now, after the 1964 season, the Colt 45s went away. And you may be asking yourself, wow, that was a quick venture. Why would they cancel a team that just started who also has a big stadium unveiling coming up? Well, for those of you who haven't picked up on it yet, and I'm sure my Houston listeners are way ahead of me, obviously, the Colt 45s name went away, but the franchise did not. The franchise actually decided to change their name. Now, what did they change their name to? Let's talk about it. Why was the Colt 45's name put away? Let's start there. Well, let me start off by saying that there's there was no reasoning. There was no major discussion, at least that I could find and did quite a bit of research on this. There wasn't any demand to get rid of the name due to concerns about gun violence or anything that may have occurred in the conversation in the NBA in the 90s with the Washington Bullets. There was a there was a major push to get rid of that name because of a push against increasing gun violence in the area. The Colt 45s, the name change was not due to that. So different time period, different reasons completely. Now, what was the reason that the Colt 45s name was changed? It's actually pretty straightforward. There's no, there's no real mystery here. Um, there is some evidence, though, that, that could lead to you know, some speculation about the, the, the final reason why it was changed. And I know I'm beating around the bush here, but let's, let's get to it. Okay. There was a, a growing concern that the Colt 45's name was going to open up the Houston franchise to a lawsuit because you had the Colt firearms company who was already well-established and had a lot of money. And as more commercial merchandising came out, there was a concern inter-franchise at least <clears throat> that having this name was going to lead to some possible um, litigation issues. And so that could be one reason why the Colt 45's name was um, gotten rid of. But really, the most straightforward reason, and it's the one that I can find the most information on, was that there was a new stadium under construction. It was ready to open up for the 1965 season. And a new venue was a great time to try and line things up with the franchise name and the new stadium. And this wasn't just any stadium. This was a state-of-the-art, one-of-a-kind type of place that was opening, and fans were excited about it. Just to give you some some features of this new stadium that was opening up, it was the first stadium in the ML, in MLB history to be fully enclosed. It was the first air-conditioned stadium of its size. It seated 70,000 people, remember? Colt Stadium seated 33,000. It was outside in the unbearable heat. This new stadium also had a chapel and a bowling alley inside. Yeah, 
So this thing is legit. It's very exciting. It actually became a major tourist attraction for the city of Houston when it unveiled. And it was nicknamed the eighth wonder of the world. So the stadium, well, before I move to the next part, if you're interested in learning more about this new stadium that was opened up, it wasn't all great. There were some design issues that came up very quickly after it was unveiled. And I talked about that in an earlier episode. Uh, there was a, a natural disaster that occurred that affected the stadium quite uh, quite greatly. So I had a great episode on natural disasters in baseball history. I'll include a link in the show notes if you'd like to go back and listen to that. But going back to the story, 1965, this this um, amazing stadium is about to open, and it's going to be called the Astrodome. Now, why did they give it the name the Astrodome? Well, there's some reasons. We're talking about Houston here. Houston had gained a reputation by this time for being the space age capital of the world. And that was mainly due to the fact that NASA had a huge presence in that city. And we had some very high profile rocket launches and manned missions to the moon that had coalesced around the city of Houston. So when people thought of Houston, they thought about astronauts and NASA. And so astronaut, astros, and you're starting to see the tie in here, right? So the stadium was named the Astrodome, and to tie into the stadium's whole futuristic kind of branding, they decided that they would name the team the Astros. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The Colt 45s were changed to the Houston Astros. That's what happened to them. But for three seasons, Major League Baseball did feature a team called the Colt 45s. And this team did bring Major League Baseball to Texas. They gave two Hall of Famers their start. And of course, they were the forerunner to, to just a franchise that has won multiple World Series. We can talk about some of the issues surrounding that in another episode. But let's just stick to the facts here, folks. This is a, a franchise that's still around today. And it got its start thanks to the Colt 45s. So, ladies and gentlemen, we've completed our autopsy of this Houston franchise. They're still around today, even though the name has changed. But here's to you, Colt 45s. You are remembered and you are appreciated. Remember, folks, if you'd like to see some pictures and videos of the Colt 45s, I have included those clips in the companion YouTube video that I'll be putting up on the, on the channel. So if you have a second, check it out. I'd appreciate your views over there as well. And of course, if you haven't followed on social media, please do that as well. Links are in the show notes. I'll include those pictures and videos there as well. I'm not trying to get you to leave the podcast, just letting you know there's a visual option as well. But overall, if you can do one more thing for me before we end, hey, if you haven't reviewed the podcast, if you haven't stopped and gone into Spotify or, or um, now I can't remember the name of it. Well, there's the Apple Podcasts, there's Spotify, there's that other one that I subscribed to for a while. I'm completely blanking. There's a lot of podcast catchers out there. If you use one that allows you to leave a review, please go ahead and leave a review for the show, even if it's just stars. It helps us get in front of new fans, and that's very important to me because I love baseball and I would like to keep talking about it to as large an audience as possible. But overall, thank you for joining me for another episode. I appreciate you making me a part of your day. And of course, remember, there are only two seasons, winter and baseball. 